Hey guys, welcome to episode number 24 of the Mimi B Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard, and you're listening to the Mimi B Magazine podcast, a lifestyle podcast all on health, relationships, sex, career, and self-development. This podcast is designed to entertain, inspire, and to motivate you to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hi guys, today I have Richard Nichols with me today. He is a fellow podcaster. He's trained in hypnosis and psychotherapy. He's also the author of 15 Minutes to Happiness. And he's also the chairman of the National Society of Hypnosis, Psychotherapy, and Mindfulness, which is pretty crazy. Welcome, Richard. (laughs) Hello to you. I'm so happy to be having you on the show today because, you know, our conversations previous to this have been so great and in-depth and you pretty much know everything there is to know about, you know, getting over certain mental blocks. And I think a lot of my listeners, um, it's mostly young girls. And I feel like we do struggle a lot with anxiety and procrastination and just getting over ourselves in our head. You know what I mean? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's a huge trend, and it's been going on. I think a lot of it started certainly in the UK in the eighties. There was this expectation that you had to be um, a go getter. Uh, what you had to be massively successful. You had to push yourself, and the harder you pushed yourself, the the, the stronger you were, and the better a person you'd be. And and it created what uh, what we tended to call over here. Um, and I don't know whether you did the same in Canada, but it was, it was sometimes called yuppie flu. And it becomes what is chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, because people mm. are just pushing themselves so hard and so far unnecessarily, thinking this is what I'm supposed to be. This is what society expects of me. And it's not. it comes at a huge emotional cost. It's not a good idea. So I, I step in as a, as a psychotherapist and say, right, well, let's look at why you're not where you want to be in your life, in your head, in your emotions, in your thoughts and feelings and your behavior and all of that. And we pick it apart and we figure out what makes people tick. And there's been lots of research done over the years that we can look at data and back it up. And we kind of know what makes us miserable and what makes us happy and what makes us stressed and what makes us calm. But all those things that we do are kind of irrelevant if our head is in the wrong place. Yeah. Like I, I do things all the time where I'm like, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, why do people do the things they know won't benefit them? It just doesn't make sense. And I guess it's all, you know, it all goes back to habits or how our brains are wired. Right. I think today, actually, I wanted to talk about anxiety with you because I think Mm -hmm. this is such an important topic that most people suffer with. And especially in this day and age, like, with crazy, you know, high fat like or fast paced life with our social media and our this and that and like really high stress jobs and not feeling good enough. Like, what do you think about anxiety as a whole? And what have you seen constantly occurring in people's lives, like commonly occurring in people's lives that has to do with anxiety? I think it it tends to boil down to a, a common theme is pretty much doing the wrong thing in your head, doing the wrong thing with your thoughts, thinking about the worst case scenario, catastrophizing, what if, it's that phrase, what if, what if this goes wrong? And 
that can fall into well, what if somebody doesn't like me? What if these people judge me? So there's lots of things going on underneath. But what people don't realise, and if they do, they don't use it to their advantage, they use it for quite the opposite, is that the brain doesn't know the difference between fact and fiction. If you think about something, it has the same effect upon your brain and your body as if you were doing something for real. And that's why um, if you watch TV programmes, you know, you get these clip shows. You've been framed is one of them where people will fall over home videos that get sent in. You know, somebody will fall off a skateboard or they'll bash their uh, they'll bash their nuts on a uh, on a handrail as they're sliding down it on a bike or whatever. And you know it, what's going to happen. And as soon as you see that person fall over, you go, oh, ow, God, I felt that. Of course, mm-hmm. we, we didn't feel it, but our brain felt it because that's how the brain works. We look at something and our brain sends signals to, to experience it. So if we live in our head in a place that's unhealthy, if we're living in a future that is unstable, dangerous, frightening, then our brain is being sent signals as if that's happening for real. And so it becomes hardwired in. It becomes then a skill. It becomes a habit to feel that way all the time because that's the signals that are being sent the most. And that's when it becomes a chronic condition. That's when it... That we don't even need to be thinking about something to have this constant feeling in in our gut and in the back of our back of our mind that there's something bad coming around the corner, and that's yeah. that's generalised anxiety disorder, or people might just call it just plain old anxiety. I'm just a nervous person. I'm just a bit shy, or I'm just an anxious type. And there's no such thing. We're not born that way. We learn to become that sort of person. And as well, my son was watching him. Um, yeah, the Empire Strikes Back yesterday, and Yoda, uh, full of wisdom, you must unlearn what you have learned. And I thought, oh, I'm writing that down. That's useful. I like that. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strangely, because it's true. If you learn something that's that's wrong, that is unhelpful to you, don't let it become part of who you are. Don't let it become part of your personality. So we can How override anxiety. Well, yes, we can. We can. I mean, there is a genetic component to a lot of our personality, but, and this debate about nature versus nurture has been going on for decades, but we know that our, our, our nurture, as much as our nature, is, is just as big an influence. We know that there are, there's a gene for Things like mood, silly as it sounds, and it, although it's difficult to look at it, you get identical twins and you, you look at them as being clones because you know, actually identical twins are clones. Their fingerprints are the same. They are clones. And you can look at their life and see if they've become a different person based on their experiences. And what we do find is it seems about half of our personality is part of our genetics, but the other half is part of what we do and how we experience life, the things that happen to us and the way that we deal with the things that happen to us. But in all these experiments and all this research that's been done, what we see is that that other half, which is the half we can control to a degree, only 10% of our mood, of our state of depression or our personality is made up by our experiences. It's not what happens to us. The other 40% 
is made up by how we deal with it, how we think about it. The things we do with our head, with our mind, with our brain, with our thoughts, those are the things that has an enormous influence on the way that we're going to feel for the rest of our lives. And that's the thing that we can control. It just takes quite a bit of practice. Yeah. So what kind of practice, if I wanted to change, if I told myself, oh, I'm just a shy, anxious person, which thankfully I'm not, but if I were, how would I change that if I wanted to be more confident and more outspoken and more ballsy? Like, are there things that I could do to practice? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably worth making sure that any goals that you set, because a lot of it is about goal setting. You know, you set you set in your mind who you want to be and you work out a way to get there. But our focus needs to be on the steps, not on the end result. There's a big mistake that people tend to make. And I've, I've known colleagues of mine, I've, I've known therapists make these, make these mistakes themselves, and even suggesting it to their own clients that made these mistakes by saying, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And there's more to it than that. If you're underconfident and you're shy and this image in your mind is of the perfect you who can stand there in front of an audience and give a great speech, can be this this character, it's not realistic. And in thinking about being that person, it actually pushes people further away from becoming it because it, it feels further and further away the more they think about it. What's important is to look at the steps in between that take you to it. So if you wanted to become more confident, you wanted to become less anxious, then you take that very first step, which I think is learning to be okay with being anxious, being okay with the feelings that it brings up. And that needs a little bit of maybe uh, biology or psychoeducation. We need to understand a little bit about why. Why is my body doing this? Because some people will, will, will say they feel anxious and they know they're anxious because of their heart rate. The heart rate goes through the roof. And somebody else will say, no, I, I, with me, I get this, this churning, sick feeling in my guts. And somebody else will say, oh, no, I just get this shake. I'll just shake. I'm just all over the place. And it's really useful to look at why. What's going on within the body that's causing that? And that is a phrase you've probably heard before, the fight or flight response. That's something that gets banded around a lot, fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And if we go back, not even that long, really, but certainly, uh, I mean, we've been knocking around on this planet for quite a few hundred thousand years, but you've only got to go back uh, a few thousand and our lives were very dangerous. You know, we lived in a very difficult time and the, the very beginnings of what kind of make us human, uh, Homo heidelbergensis, I think it was the probably how it was pronounced, I think. And that was about 700,000 years ago. And those those versions of us, they did live in a very dangerous environment. There were possibly saber-toothed tigers or certainly other animals if the saber-toothed hadn't all died out by then. But there was a couple around, I think, in Africa. Life was very dangerous. And so we developed this skill of always being on edge of always just looking around to make sure that everything's okay. We we come out of our cave and we look around, and if that bush looks slightly different to the way that it normally looks, we know that there's possibly a predator in it and we run back in our cave. That's the fight-or-flight response. And if we're out and about, always on edge, then we're going to be the ones that get away faster than anybody else. We don't have to outrun the tiger. We've just got to outrun whoever we're with to survive. And that's natural selection. So generations later, 
and we come to today, many, many, many generations later, we've got this hardwired skill for fear. And what the what the brain is trying to do is get oxygen into the muscles. Because if we were trying to run away from a threat, then we needed as much oxygen in the muscles to, to give us that extra bit of strength. So it pulls blood out of areas where it probably doesn't need it. So the gut, the stomach, there's lots of blood there digesting our breakfast or whatever that probably if you're running from a tiger isn't necessary. So it pulls all the blood out to get oxygen into the muscles. And that's why we feel a bit sick when we feel really nervous. That's butterflies. And next time somebody you know, makes a loud noise as a uh, car horn or something, or somebody cuts you up on a road and you go, <gasps> and you feel that pull of blood in the gut. That's that, Those butterflies are the fight or flight response. That's the body trying to get oxygen in the muscles to fight or flee. So if that's what your body needs, it needs oxygen, then it produces adrenaline to get the heart to beat faster so that any blood that's around can get into the muscles quicker. Some of, the, some of that blood will have to will travel into the head and we don't want it all into the brain because it will give us a stroke. So it disperses into the blood vessels of the face and that makes us red. And then people get a fear of blushing because they're everywhere. Well, every time I get nervous, I'll just go red and I hate it because it makes me feel judged. And it, you know, there's all these components to it, but it's all about getting oxygen in. And if that's what your body needs, then that's what we need to give it. And that's why so many therapists over the years and so many different forms of therapy all have a lot of the same foundations. And they will say, you're feeling panicky, you're feeling anxious. Okay, stop. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Get some oxygen into your body. Breathe. And hypnotherapists, I'm a hypnotherapist, as you say. I talk about breathing a lot. Even CBT, cognitive behavioral therapists, will talk about breathing a lot. Everybody from, from one side of the world to the other, so many different cultures all know instinctively that we need to breathe. But if we're panicking over anything, people tend to hold their breath. They sort of hold it. And that's the worst thing we could do. What we need to do is get as much oxygen into the body as possible. And that means taking deep breaths, proper deep breaths. But as you might know, because you've done, you've been involved in You've done some yoga or meditation or something like that before? Mm-hmm. I do meditation every morning and yeah. it really helps for sure. The first thing any guided meditation will talk about is breathing and people need to know how to do it. I know it sounds ridiculous because, you know, we've been breathing since we were born almost to the second. And yet we don't really know how to do it in an, in an efficient way. If you ask anybody to take a deep breath, they tend to... Sp- they tend to pull their stomach in and puff their chest out to expand their lungs because they they think that their lungs are in the in the top half of their chest and it's there that needs to expand. But by, but it's the belly, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. If you if you if you pull your your belly in, then the diaphragm is going to push your lungs up, so they can't expand because your rib cage is in the way. And what we need to do is make sure that on the in breath, you're breathing from the bottom of your lungs because their lungs are quite big. And by, by pushing your belly out a little bit on that in-breath, you'll get twice as much air, twice as much oxygen, and it gives a signal to the brain that says, we don't need any more oxygen. We're going to be okay. If we, if we needed to run away from a threat or fight, fight something, we're going to be okay because we've got as much oxygen as we can handle. So it begins to turn down that anxious feeling. It turns down that sick feeling in the stomach. It it stops the need for adrenaline so the heart doesn't race quite so much and we don't get quite so hot and sweaty. And it's vital that people practice that. 
But what, what I say to people is, don't just wait until you're anxious. We want this attitude. We want this process to become second nature. We want it to be a skill. So do it all the time. Whenever you remember, take your thoughts to your breathing for a few moments. And make sure that you breathe in from the bottom of your lungs. You hold it for a moment and then you breathe out gently, getting rid of all the carbon dioxide and you slow down. Then you take a second deep breath and you hold it and you let go slowly. Then I'm you doing this right now. I know. It's, and it's, it's it so feels easy, it? like so relaxing and I don't feel any anxiety at all. And is, this is such a great tip. Like when you're starting to feel a little bit anxious about something, just get back to your breath and yeah. realize that what you're overthinking is probably not going to happen <laughs> and Absolutely. a bit I mean, unrealistic, right? I'm quite a, quite a, quite a fizzy, bouncy sort of character. I, I talk quite quickly and I, I'm just very I'm very much like that. Tigger. Somebody once described me as the sort of Tigger character and I bounce about all over the place. But every time I, I demo these little breathing exercises, I find myself ah, slowing down and my attitude slows down. My heart rate slows down. Even though I'm not fearful of my heart racing, obviously lots of people are, but I slow down and I don't even need to or want to, but I still do. But like you say, the next step is to control what's going on in your head. and that's that's hard because if we've been practicing worrying for 10 years, five years, two years, two weeks, maybe, well, maybe not two weeks, but certainly after a couple of months of daily worrying, it's going to become a skill. That's just how the brain works. Anything you practice becomes second nature, whether you're practicing worrying or practicing playing the guitar. And if you do it for half an hour a day, you get good at it. But when it comes to the, the, our thoughts, we've got way more than half an hour to live there. And we can be thinking all the wrong things consistently for hours. And to get into a habit that says, stop, where do I want to be in my head? What do I want to think about next? Rather than the worst case scenario, what would I prefer to see happen? And take our thoughts there. It takes practice, but it does become second nature if we practice it. Yeah. And I, I try all the time. I'm always trying to better myself. And it is hard, you know, changing thought patterns is pretty difficult, but it's very doable as well. And I think um, my big way to ensure that I'm, you know, working towards myself actively every day is doing a morning routine. And it helps me kind of get into that zone and get into that mentality that I want to be in all day so that then it's like, you know, domino effect. If I do my morning routine and I feel really good and I feel like the best version of myself in the morning, then in the afternoon, I'm probably going to make great decisions on what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to move my body that day or how much work I'm going to accomplish. So it's it's so true. It's, it all starts from just having the desire to, to change those habits and just being aware of those habits and being aware that you can change them. Cause so, so many people, like they just think that they're born this way. They think, Oh, this personality trait, Oh, it's just me or it's genetic or, you know, it's just how, I, how I've always been, but it doesn't need to be that way. And, you know, I've, I've gone through it myself. I remember I used to be a little bit more shy, you know, maybe when I was in my early teens and, mm -hmm. I wasn't as confident in certain areas and now I feel like I'm the most confident I've ever been and it's it's just by 
doing different things and you know rewiring your brain into different patterns rewiring is is the right word i often think of the brain as being like a, a cornfield that if you wanted to get from a to b and there was a path that takes you through it it could be quite a long path and it's not a straight line it's all over the place but it's the quickest path to get from a to b and b is maybe b's being satisfied b's being contented being is being safe whatever it is but this long path is the most efficient way to get there because it's the only path. But if you try to force yourself to take a, a straight line to get there quicker, it's not going to get you there any quicker at all because it's cornfield and it's full of corn. So you've got to plough your way through it. But you get there eventually and you get to that feeling that you're looking for of contentment or safety or whatever. But it's hard work. But then the next time you go, you've started to create a pathway. And then again and again and again and again and again. Now, eventually, you'll create a whole new pathway that goes from A to B quite quick. The, the original path will still be there because there's just two paths. That's how the brain works. It's not going to prune away that, that neurological circuit because it's probably been what's called myelinated, but that's another story. So this path, these two paths will be there, but you've got a choice of which one to take. And the more that you use the desirable one, the more automatic it becomes. And that's that's everything from choosing an apple over a chocolate bar to dealing with uh, confrontation and difficult situations or being the centre of attention and being okay with it. Getting into the habit of taking a deep breath to slow your heart rate down. All of these things that you repeat, become a skill. They, bec they do become hardwired in. You create a whole new path. That's how the brain works. I'm oversimplifying neuroscience here, but that is how the brain works. Yeah, I love that analogy of the cornfield because it's so true. It's never a straight line from A to B in anything from self-development to success. It's never a straight line. It's literally unheard of. There's always going to be bumps in the road. There's always yeah. going to be slight setbacks. And I feel like you know, I still am quite hard on myself. Sometimes I have goals that I want to reach. And if I mess up something and I, I don't do what I wanted to do, um, I, I am still hard on myself because I feel like it should be easy at this point because I know what to do and I just don't do it. But at the same time, then I say, okay, I'm going to cut myself some slack because look at where I am compared to where I was last year. And yeah. it was definitely an advancement. So um, for sure, I, I still have that all the time. And I think also my trick as well with, um, you know, doing things that I know make me feel my best. For example, let's say health and fitness. Um, I'm, I've started to reward myself with like positive affirmations after doing something um, that I wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. that, that would help my health and fitness um, in a positive way. And instead, you know, last year I would have maybe said a negative comment to myself, oh, I could have done better or, you know, oh, like I didn't do it yesterday. So I'm doing it today to punish myself kind of thing. And, you know, an hour ago, I just went on 10K run and I did it with a positive mentality. And I was like, wow, this, this feels so good. Like my body is being challenged. I feel awesome. I'm going to eat such a yummy breakfast after this. Like just going into things with more of a positive mentality has really helped me. Have you noticed that with some of your clients as well? Yeah, absolutely. If we can start off with a place of optimism, then, of course, we then expect to be doing quite well. We create an expectation that, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I do now. And with regards to our body, it doesn't take very long to create that that habit that says, but I always go for a, a run on a, a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday, for example. 
So every other day is quite good to go for a run. Now, when I started running um, a few years ago, I can't remember how far I ran, but it wasn't very far before I had to stop and go, you know what? I've only been running for about 30 seconds and I'm knackered already. But the next day or the day after that, I could run for an extra minute. And then a couple of days after that, it's another minute more. And a couple of days after that, it's another minute more. And that's where this whole whole idea of the couch to 5K thing, that if you if you do it properly and do it in increments, in six weeks, you can run five kilometres. And you can. But six weeks later, after, well, I couldn't even run 100 yards and now I can run 5K, you're not suddenly 30 or 40 times more fit than you were before in those six weeks. But what you've learned is where your limits are. You've learned that actually I can push myself, that this feeling in my body, this this feeling of out of breath or this this taste in my mouth that I get when I push myself quite far, it's nothing to fear anymore. Because you can go from running for two minutes and then having to stop to then running for probably quite confidently, I'd say 10 minutes within a week or so. Because you've got used to it. It becomes normal. It's okay for my heart to be pounding this way. And that's why exercise is quite good for people who have got anxiety. Because it trains people that it's okay for these feelings. If somebody comes to me and they've got one of their symptoms of anxiety is getting dizzy. They don't like being dizzy. And then, of course, when they do get a bit dizzy, they begin to panic more because they fear it. Because anxiety is kind of, it kind of feeds itself. If you fear fear, then you've created it. You're fearing fear. You're anxious about being anxious. So it just goes round and round and round and round when there's actually, when actually there might be nothing to be anxious about other than will I get anxious? And it just goes round and round. So if somebody's fearful of getting dizzy, we desensitize them to it. That's their homework. They go home and practice getting dizzy. They have to spin around on the spot and fall over and then stand up and go, God, they have to practice being dizzy. It's a bit weird. But it's, it's a good idea because you you learn, I'm okay with that now. But it just takes, again, we're back to that same thing, repetition. It just takes practice. Mm-hmm. It takes a mixture of, I guess, emotional intelligence to understand what it's, what's really going on, to recognise the difference between... Um, anger and frustration between jealousy and fear. And there's lots of different words we've got for our emotions and they're all based around the same thing. So we understand once we've got a a handle on that, we then practice having those feelings and being okay with it. A little by little, bit by bit, everything seems to work out by itself as you take further and further and further steps. Yeah, that is so interesting. And it's so true. Repetition is everything. If you want to get good at something, if you want to reach your goal body, if you want to make that side hustle your main career and make a lot of money doing so, it's like repetition. Keep doing, keep doing. And finally you'll you'll achieve. And I think that's what I've I've done over the past year with exercise for sure. And with um my morning routine, that was a big thing that I had struggled with at the beginning, making it a habit because I just kind of didn't feel like it a lot of mornings. And I realized when I don't feel like it, it's when I need to do it the most. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) When I don't feel like doing my morning routine, it's when I need it the most. I'm not in that mindset and it's when I need to get into the zone. So you're so right. Okay. So I have a question for you. This is going to be personal um, to me. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. So my, with my job, it's kind of all over the place. I don't have good structure. I have, cause I, I worked in television and um, I still do a little bit and I have my own business and it's only, I'm like a one man show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there were so many decisions and pressures that I put on myself. And um, I sometimes just have this massive anxiety of, am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decision? Like, what am I doing? I I just don't have any stability feels and I don't, you know, I don't have anyone to, to ask for advice because I don't have any business partners or I don't know. I think for, for my work, like I felt this anxiety, um, for a while now because I don't know what's coming and I don't have this structure of a nine to five and knowing that I'm getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Like, would you just say, okay, you know, do the breathing exercises when you feel really anxious, stay calm and just do what you know is working. Or are there other tips that can help me kind of get over that anxiety and make me realize that I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And this is the job that I've chosen and, and that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You, you already know what you want to do and you're doing it, but in order to get that a more positive mindset about it, you do need to have an element of, of of control within your body. So yeah, of course, take a few deep breaths, oxygenate your body, get your heart rate a little bit lower so that then you can, it's easier when you, once you've done that to go, okay, here's my fear. What if it all goes wrong? What if I can't pay myself next month? What if this, what if that? And I think most of us have been there. Anybody with any great level of success in life um, was, will have those fears there are those few who just bumble through life and everything seems to come up roses. But most people, it's done through hard work and it's through persistence. And once, you, once you've once you got enough clout about you, once you're intelligent enough to know, I know what works, it creates this, this thought then that goes, well, I know what doesn't and I know what could go wrong. Because it's worth looking underneath a lot of this. And saying, okay, these, these are, this is how I feel, but why? When I should be able to trust myself. Is this through practice? And it could just be that you need more practice because you've, you've been doing this for a little while, but not a long while yet. And it could, mm-hmm. could be that all you need is just a little bit more uh, faith in yourself, a little bit more patience that I'm going to feel more confident at this the more that I do it, the more that I make these decisions. And yeah, there isn't, you don't have very many people that you can um, share the responsibility with or share the blame because if something does go wrong, hey, it's down to you, you know, you decided to do this. And I think we need to be okay with things going wrong because it could be that in five years' time, you're you're living in a completely different way that you've decided to have a slightly different career or completely different. Who knows? You don't know what the future is. You might change your mind because we do. We change. You're a different person now to the one you were five years ago. You've changed and you can change again in five years' time. Life changes us. And to be okay with, I'll deal with it then. What if I don't get, what if I can't pay myself this month? Well, I'll deal with it then rather than having to deal with it in your head in advance. Cause there's nothing worse than thinking about the worst case scenario because it will trick your brain into thinking you're experiencing it and give you further anxiety. And it doesn't come, you, you don't create life then from a, from a good place. It comes from a place of desperation almost or of fear. What we want is that it comes from a place of optimism, that, hey, even if things go wrong, because 
things do. I'll be okay because I trust myself. I trust myself that if I've made the wrong decision, I learn from it because that's what we do. And we're, wow. we're funny as adults. You know, when, when you're a child learning something, you, you don't question that you're just practicing. You don't have any issue with it at all. When we're really young, you know, learning to walk, we fall over and then we get up. And we're seeing all these other people walking around going, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And we try again and we fall over again and again and again. But that toddler never says to itself, you know what? I can't do this. I'm just going to stay down here. They try again until they get it right. And again and again, because they don't have the the intelligence. They don't have the language in their head to go, you, you're doing all this wrong. You're useless. You can't do this. But as adults, we do. As adults, we've got that inner critic that says, what are you doing? You're a blagger. <laughs> you're just fudging your way through life. You know, you're just going to, you're going to get found out soon. Somebody's going to find out that you're useless. And we all have that. Every, anybody with any level of success in life has an imposter syndrome, a fraudulent feeling that, but I'm just me. Because we've all been ourselves since the day we were born. We know everything. All our insecurities, all the mistakes we might have made in the past, all of our fears, we know them all. And so we carry that with us. And if we're not careful, the where we've lived in the past influences what we expect of ourselves in the future. And that's not the way it should be. The thing is, our brain has only got one place to go, and that's our experiences. When we try to predict the future, our brain goes to the past and goes, well, what happened before? And that's the only place it's got. So if we're not careful, we end up doing the same things and making the same mistakes, having the same sorts of relationships with the same toxic people, maybe. And it's it's not until something happens and you draw a line in the sand, and that can be at any age. That could be at 15, that could be at 21, that could be at 61. Something happens where you draw a line in the sand and go, I don't want to be like this. This, this isn't how I want to live. This is not what I want to do. And what do I want to do? And how do I want to feel? And they learn how to feel the way that they want to feel. And you made that decision uh, fairly recently, you feel. Yeah, well, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to start right now. All of what you just said makes so much sense. And it's just like opened a door in my mind, um, realizing that confidence is the cure to my anxiety is with work, mm. right? Like if I have confidence in myself and what I'm doing and I trust the movements that I'm making, I I won't fail and I won't be this massive failure that sometimes my anxiety likes to make up. And wow, that's so powerful. I just had to to say that. Um, and yeah, you know what? Listen, like I've been working in TV for just over two years and I've been self-employed and, you know, I left the show that I used to be on beginning of this year. And I've been doing my own thing, my online magazine, my podcasts. Um, I've been working on other projects, um, getting back into TV soonish, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's big because sometimes I have this opportunity that is out of my control. Um, and I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to get it. And it's not up to me. It's up to a bunch of different factors. And that's when I feel like the most anxiety. So for example, this TV project that'll be coming up in the next half, six months. Um, it's not finalized yet and it's out of my control. I've done my best and I just don't like it, it, There's so much on the line with this one opportunity. It could be a make or break of my career kind of thing. And 
that like keeps me up at night. I'm like, what else can I do? I'm looking at all the different options. Like at the end of the day, like I, I just need to wait. And so I guess what I need to do now is just not think about it until I get the answer and just work on other things and just have confidence that I'll make it either way. Well, if it's not this one, it'll be the next one. And if it's not that one, it'll be the one after that. But the the mistake that people make is is seeing one failure as evidence that, well, I can't do anything. And if every actor never went for an audition again because they didn't get a part, we wouldn't... Wow, how crap would the telly be? I mean, it's pretty... Uh, some, of the, some of the actors are not the best anyway. But we just have a... It would all be, be dreadful because everybody would have given up. Mm-hmm. We will get rejected. That's life. We'll be rejected by our friends. We'll feel rejected by our family. We'll we'll get sacked. We're made redundant. You know, that's life. Life rejection is part of life. But if we fear that, then that becomes bigger than it should be, and it keeps people stuck in in a, in, a, in safety. Well, this is what I'm doing, and and if I, if I don't change, I'll still I'll be okay. I'll just carry on doing the same thing and get the same results, and I'll be okay. Yeah, it'd be okay, and you'll probably be safe, and you'll be earning well. But maybe there's more. Maybe you could do even more. Now, it's it's definitely worth looking at something I said earlier on, actually, um, that everything about anxiety, about the fight or flight response, all is the is the basis of all emotion. That it's only now, as as an adult, that we give our feelings names. As a kid, we just feel bad, and there we have a tantrum. And our parents go, oh, they're having a tantrum. They're what? They go, they are angry. They are frustrated. There could be anything going on. Because now as an adult, we can look at it and go, I'm feeling envious of something. Or I'm feeling jealous. Or I'm feeling um, uh, fearful, obviously. I'm feeling even excited, silly as it sounds. Somebody with anxiety could actually be feeling quite excited about something, but the brain just sends a response that says, there is something coming, and here's a feeling to help you prepare for it. If two people queuing up for a roller coaster, both feeling exactly the same sensations within their body, but one doesn't like that feeling, so it becomes anxiety, and the other person feels it and likes it, and it becomes excitement. One really is looking forward to the roller coaster ride, and the other person is really not looking forward to the roller coaster ride. Yet the, mm. the signals within the body are the same. And like I say, sometimes we're bored, and the signals that the brain sends are the same for anxiety. Sometimes it's just impatient. Sometimes it's, it is uh, fear or anxiety because you're worried about something that's coming up. But the brain has only one response to all of our emotions, which is there's something coming up and it's different to my expectations. I'm not quite sure what it is because it's a change from my routine. And here's a feeling about it, just in case it's a saber-toothed tiger hiding in the bushes. And we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay with feeling that feeling and almost embrace it. Almost accept that this is how I'm feeling and that's okay. Then you can take a deep breath and move on. Mm-hmm. So just embracing the feeling of change and the feeling of anxiety and just being feeling okay. In your, and- in your case, what you also need to do is look at the stuff that's going on in your head. 
to make sure that you're not catastrophizing and thinking about the worst case scenario. Because it's so easy to take one thing onto another. Well, if this happens, then that'll happen after that. And well, if that happens, then that'll happen. And then I'll, then my boyfriend will leave me and I'll lose my house and blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so hard to just not think that way. Like with this opportunity, my mind is like, oh my God, if this happens, then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. If it doesn't happen, then I'm going to have to do this. This like it's your brain is just like overthinking so much. Well, mine does at least. And I, I feel like I've gotten better though at it. Um, a few months ago, it was pretty bad with this anxiety towards this project. But now I'm just like, you know what? Out of my control. I'm working really hard on what I'm doing. And I have this confidence in myself that I will make it. I will have the career that I want and I'll find a way. Um, but it does creep in sometimes still, for sure. There's a technique that we use in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And there's not much in CBT that's of great value, I don't think, but there's a couple of some useful ideas. The whole premise of CBT is that your thoughts influence the way that you feel and your feelings will influence your behavior, which then influences your expectations. So you, you still create this character based on these three things because they just feed each other. And that learning to control one will give you control over them all. So learning to control your thoughts will give you better emotions. Learning to control your emotions will give you better behavior. And then you learn to control your behavior, gives you better thoughts and so on and so on. All of those things can be controlled. You can control your emotional state with those breathing exercises. You can control your behavior just by, with deliberate action. But then you also need to control your thoughts. And that's the tricky one because that's, is that's the cornfield in the, in of our brain, you know, having these hardwired pathways and to override and create new ones does take a lot of repetition. But you can't go from thinking about something that's quite unpleasant to suddenly starting to think about something that's good. We can't do that. It's unrealistic. We can try. And, and, and often people will, they'll go, well, this is the worst case scenario. And they go, right, stop that. I want to think about the best case scenario. But out of habit, all those old thoughts just creep back in again. The best way I find, and this is something that I teach all my clients pretty much, is that you stick something in the middle. That if you find that your head is going places you don't want it to go, if you're catastrophizing or you're worrying about the worst case scenario, before you jump onto thoughts that you'd prefer to think about, you stick something in the middle, big, loud and vivid in your head. The word stop works very, very well. That if you find that your thoughts are going places you don't want it to go, you shout as loud as you can in your head. Don't recommend you do it for real unless it's appropriate. Sure, do it for real. But usually just in your head, you scream the word stop. Stop! To capture your attention. <laughs> but as well as hearing genius. the word That's stop, genius. imagine what the word stop looks like too. So you imagine a big red sign or... Um, uh, just a red light, a traffic light or something like that, just to capture your attention. And for a couple of seconds, all you're thinking about is the word stop. So you've got some control over your thoughts then, and it's vivid. You're focused your thoughts because it's loud. And then you take your thoughts onto something else. Now, that something else could be anything. What I say to people is, yes, that thought could be the exact opposite of that fearful thought that you had in the first place, but it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's better. You wouldn't remember, well, you might you might know this TV show, whether it was repeated. But when I was growing up, there's a TV show called Fraggle Rock. 
Never heard of it. Fraggle Rock. Oh, wow. Well, it was made by the same people that did the Muppets. There were these little, little puppet characters that lived under a lighthouse. Oh. And it just had a cheesy theme tune. Dance your cares away. Worries for another day. And it's just a silly theme tune. And I spend my life there, silly as it sounds. If my head goes to places I don't want it to go, I scream the word stop to take some control over my thoughts and then spend my spend a few seconds thinking about the fraggles from Fraggle Rock. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so silly. But it doesn't matter what it is. That something else could be the exact opposite of your fears, the things that you do want to see happen. But it could just be a line from a, any old song. It could be a poem. It could just be a thought. It could be a mantra. It could be just an, a positive affirmation that says that famous Emil Coué phrase from, from back in the day, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. And although it seems unrealistic to think, yep, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. But if we live with that expectation, then we will get better every day in every way. We genuinely will. Yeah. Wow. This has been such a powerful episode and I'm sure so many people are going to benefit from this so much. And and for you guys listening, we're going to do um, a second part to this podcast where Richard's going to hypnotize me live for you um, on how to stop procrastinating. And I thought this would be such a great thing because you guys could follow along. And, you know, if you want to be hypnotized as well, just listen to part two of this episode and you could come on this journey with Richard and I. Thank you so, so much. Absolute this pleasure. has been amazing, Richard. And brilliant. honestly, I think so many people will benefit, like I, like I said. Good, good. And what is your podcast for our listeners that want to hear more about you and what you preach? Sure. If you just if you Google Richard Nichols, um, you'll certainly you'll I'm sure you'll find me. Um, the podcast is called the Richard Nichols Podcast. Uh, RichardNichols.net. Uh, it used to be called Motivate Yourself, so you can also get it at MotivateYourself.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at Richard Nichols. Instagram, uh, Real Richard Nichols. I think I don't use Instagram that much, but I am on there. I posted something earlier today. I think it's Real. Real. <laughs> so the Richard Nichols Real or Real Richard Nichols? I'm on there. Somewhere. The Real Richard Nichols. Yeah, nice, yeah. not the fake one. <laughs> There's a couple of others. There's a plasterer somewhere and a photographer somewhere. So. I'm, the real, I'm the real one. You're the real one. <laughs> Love it. Okay, guys, listen to the next part of this episode and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.